Welcome back to the podcast, Steve and Sally's study. I've got a part two with Mr. Dumi in front of me. Welcome on board for a part two podcast. Um, great to see you, mate. Loving the jumper, loving the slickness. <laughs> oh, wow. First question, yeah. what do you think of the new gallery in Mayfair? No, amazing. It's impressive, Steve. Obviously, you're always a man that's a trailblazer. Obviously, if you set out to go and get something, you, you, usually you, you, you make it happen. As they say, you're a repeat offender. You know? <laughs> that's it. No, no, amazing. It's inspirational. It's a great setup. It's great to see your collection. And may you get more grease to your elbows, mate. Like, I wish you all the best. Thank you, mate. Gave you a very short insight to uh, uh, the LA graffiti street art scene with, with Defa. Um, fan of his work, now listening to that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I've seen some of it before. Um, obviously, right now, I saw his work and obviously Defa and stuff. But, you know, all of the street art, street art's very much, it's like the intersection of like art and music, you know, and fashion. So lots of the disciplines or the things I'm into, street art has very much influenced the things I'm into, be it music or fashion, and I'm into street art. So it's great to see some of these like cultures or things that were quite disruptive or very underground at one stage, or people couldn't get into the, you know these types of galleries. It's great to see the 360 of where it is now and like a couple years later, 20 years later maybe, you know, they're in Mayfair. And you've got a whole collection, but these kids were probably getting arrested for get, doing graffiti and weren't, didn't have a place to express themselves, you know? Well, it's amazing. Yeah. So just for the benefit of maybe new people listening to this podcast, I interviewed you before. Um, you are the founder and also director of Disturb in London. Have a rough guess. When do you think that first podcast was? I don't know now. Maybe 2000 and... It was before COVID. So when was it? 2018? No, 19. But I was actually quite surprised because oh, wow. when, when I went back to listen to it, I thought it just felt like it was maybe 18 months yeah, ago. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I'm thinking, right, I'm going to listen to this. And as the date come up, I was like, November 2019. Wow. How how quickly has time, time gone on? Time flies. Yeah. You know, I think... Um, Time's flown for all of us. I think the two years of like us just being on COVID, it's almost like lost, not lost two years, but it's the two years that we don't really remember happened because we were just in our house and things were going on, you know, there wasn't. So I think that extra two years made everybody be like, whoa, we're in 2023, you know, just mm. a bit, it's just... Makes you appreciate life, makes you appreciate time and it makes Definitely. you appreciate what you've got around you. and. Exactly. Um, Father time doesn't wait for anybody. You no. need to march on. Exactly. I'm, I'm going to give you a quote <clears throat> that you said in another interview, which I found really actually quite cool, but I wanted to dig into it a little bit more. This is what you said. You have to be bilingual in life. Yeah. What does that mean? Well, being bilingual in life is obviously, for me, it's more about trying to relate and communicate at different levels with people. You know, if I was blessed enough to be bilingual in terms of being able to speak everyone's like mother tongue, you know, if I could go to Spain and speak Spanish, or I could go to Germany and speak German, to Holland and speak Dutch, you know, France and speak French, you know, you'll be closer with people, you can communicate. But when I mean bilingual, I mean, in a sense, we're relatable from where we're from in terms of sometimes if I'm gonna be down at the market in East London or, or South London, I'm gonna talk 
in a bit more of a cockney slang I'm going to have words that are going to relate to the person I'm talking to if I'm in the streets in Peckham or Brixton I'm going to talk to a kid and speak to them in the way they would speak you know if I'm in if I'm up in Mayfair I'm in Annabelle's or I'm doing something in Cambridge I'm going to speak to in a way where they understand how I'm going to be more articulate in a sense and just be clearer in how I speak you know so being bilingual for me is trying to relate to people for them to understand you clearly and for you to just level things. It's a leveller, you know? It's a way where people can relate to you. People that are not comfortable with talking to everyone in the way they may speak or they don't understand how to speak to it's better that you can kind of relate to people in a bit more of a, you know, level. I Like face-to-face. Like, you can adapt. Can adapt. Yeah. And it's easier to... Um, Make people people feel comfortable, I'd say. Yeah. So Disturbing London is a globally recognised brand and it's ventured into different 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 markets. Since our podcast in two thousand nineteen, how has it evolved? How has it changed and what successes but also equally setbacks has yeah, it had since since then? Yeah, um Yeah, it's it's a it's a the world is a very changed place since two thousand and nineteen. So the business changed in that time. Um, same objectives, but in terms of, you would say, setbacks were that loads of our artists that we, our clients, were out of the game for two years. They couldn't do no live shows. They couldn't do anything, you know. So everything was on pause. Very much with the entertainment game. It's very much about, you know, putting out music the public saying yes or no if they like it and then after that you go on the roads and you do shows and you may do a bit of tv and promo but in the two years that had a big effect on the in the entertainment space there was obviously alternatives people doing lots of live streaming and lots of performances but then you know lots of tapes were being put out eps or albums but the fact is that where people get their second buy of the apple and where lots of the art, artists make income, it was quite, it was zapped. So you had to kind of make some pivotal changes, you know, in terms of where you're going to go. In terms of as a manager, we all lost a lot of income stream from there because that's a massive part of where we make our money. It's from branding. And obviously, if you're not out on the road, the brands don't want to do stuff, you know. So you may, you miss a lot of opportunities. Clients that were signed to the label, managers that were signed to the label, lost a lot of money. Plus myself as a manager, I lost a lot of money. So from there, in COVID, it was just about putting out music. So we did that, but that was just, it was easier because everyone was in the same space in a sense where everyone was losing money. You know, everyone was losing opportunities. So it wasn't isolated to just, us in the entertainment world. But um, then from there, it just got me thinking more about diversifying. I think it got the world thinking about diversifying and just having a more of a diverse portfolio in terms of things I focus my time in and things that I need to get more guarantee from, you know. So it got me more thinking about, okay, certain businesses it gave me, it allowed me to free up a lot of time in exploring things that I've always wanted to do. So, for one, like, we started Disturbing Sports, you know, because, again, um, COVID was a time when we saw lots of cultures, like, intersections, 
worlds merging for music and then you saw streaming things versus was birth, birthed on through COVID, you know what I mean? And then we wouldn't have got that spike of artists going against each other doing like, you know, sound clashes from, <laughs> and then that became a big spike. But then you saw a lot of things where sports was merging with music. You know, you saw the whole thriller kind of, you know, celebrity boxing matches and the fights with music. And there was just a lot of different hybrids, which got me thinking about things that maybe I could get into or, some things I've always wanted to get into. So this disturbing sports thing was a massive pivotal moment in terms of change. So obviously we've added that into the business. I've partnered up with a few people and I've given them the disturbing sports brand has been birthed. And we've got um, we've got um, three boxers. We've got, obviously we've got Jamie TKV, he's a heavyweight. We've got... Um, uh, we've got welterweight um, Chris Congo, okay, and we have um, Jesse Brandon, who is a super lightweight, so he's good. So we got three fighters. Um, Jesse's with um, Wiseman on Channel Five, and then um, Chris is on Sky Boxer, and um, Jamie TKV is on Boxer too, and they're all coming through. Um, yeah, did that? That's really exciting for me. I just think it was. It, I felt it was a. A massive time again to lots of other industries I think needed to be disrupted or changed. I think lots of things happened around COVID in the last, it's been a year of a lot of change, you know, let's say be it from COVID to the BLM movement was massive in terms of what happened like George Floyd, that changed a lot of industries and let people understand that there wasn't enough diversity, not enough difference, not enough change and not enough, you know, there's a bigger market. There was kind of an audience that wasn't being allowed in or things weren't being catered to, you know? So when I looked at boxing, I saw, you know, I think that there needed to be a massive, a change in representation in boxing in a way where there's a lot of kids in the hoods around the world that are interested in boxing, but you know, We've had Mike Tyson's. Obviously, we've had the Lennox Lewis's. AJ AJ has done amazing. Anthony Joshua's done amazing in terms of pushing the sport to a different level and changing the face of what being a heavyweight, a black British heavyweight is. He's done amazing. You've got the the white, um, Dylan White, sorry, and Chisora's and all of that. But I definitely think in terms of getting some kids that are very much like have the same interests as, I don't know, a Fredo or from that kind of space and are more into in the music and more into the fashion, but they're athletes, just like some of the football players are, I just think, um, and where they can express their culture and their interests, but it won't take away from them as an athlete. And I just think when I saw that, I was like, there's a massive gap in what I do because I feel I've always been able to do that with artist I've always been able to keep the artist authentically true to them and just open it up to a wider audience mm. it's um, <clears throat> a funny one old boxing because I think any activity is good for for the sport and it's and it's getting into new demographics and it's including a lot of people that may have felt back in the day or a little while ago that 
maybe it's not for them. They, they might have liked to watch it, but a little bit afraid or felt intimidated to approach the sport. Yeah. I mean, look, you've got one of my podcast guests, AJ Bunko, was on Love Island. I think she does only only fans now. She's <laughs> doing boxing. Then you've got Ellie Brooke, only fans model, yeah. doing boxing. Exactly. And then you also have rappers, and you have you know former professionals who are now going into these exactly. other leagues, um, uh, being run by um, what's that guy's a bouncer, bouncer, and, yeah. yeah, and people people like that. And you're mixing loads of different worlds, exactly. And it, and it is quite interesting. And at the end of the day. I think everybody's interested in seeing two individuals who've got a bit of a beef be- between each other setting up but having, having a fight. Yeah, and it's exactly. a bit of a weird one because yeah. it, it, traditional. It, that's it. It's old school. It's old. You school. know what I mean? That's how you settle things, have a fight, honourable, and you shake your hands after, and everybody has a good time. When I looked at boxing, Steve, for me, it was more like it's exactly what I've been doing: finding talent obviously building up a, a certain level of fandom and then selling out shows. And be it that show starts from an academy, which is a, the equivalent to a York Hall, to then to, you know, arena shows. And both fighters and artists get to arena. And obviously if you're even bigger, you, you have an Ed Sheeran, which is a, an equivalent to an AJ. You know what I mean? You go to stadium. So that is the same principle but the, the difference is, is just that the fighters train very hard. A lot, it's a very, you could say, a lot of responsibility, responsibility is left to them in the sense where I can't help a fighter train. I'm not in the ring with the fire. If the fighter doesn't train, they lose. It's all on them. It can all change. One fight changes everything. You know what I mean? Nothing can be be plastered over or, or or hidden you know it's all shows on the day you know and that's what I kind of enjoyed I like the discipline of it and the honour of it they're like warriors it's like modern day warriors isn't it they're, it's a big feat to like say you know what I want to be a professional you train your life and you train and then you've only got a certain amount of window to make it really happen and I just really enjoyed it. I really thought, you know what? Um, I like discovering people and I like being part of people's journeys of like, you know, as you could say, hero to from zero to hero. That journey is always an amazing journey. And I like doing that. And that's the thrill I've got from being a manager. But the thing I've really liked about what's refreshing for me in boxing is that it's, it's just a discipline. Defo. Yeah. There, there is an audience out there, or there That's are naysayers, but that yeah. will say, I respect what you're saying to me, but there are other elements of boxing right now that appear to some people to be diluted. For yeah. example, Jake Paul yeah. is going to be fighting Nate Diaz, yeah. who was a UFC yes. world champion, I think, a few times over. Of course. Very, very hard man. Very hard man. They they actually say, this is their, their thing about him, they say, Nate Diaz never loses a fight, he just runs out of time. Yeah. He's like, got such he an engine. He could go on forever, just, yeah. it's crazy. He's like the Terminator. Yeah. So Jake Paul fighting Nate Diaz, do you think that dilutes boxing or highlights it in a good way? Listen... For the purists, yeah, I can understand people saying that obviously this is taking away 
like the prestige from the sport. But we have to say in everything in life, everything in life evolves, right? And without evolution, things don't grow. Everything changes. Where boxing was in the 1900s to where it is now is a completely different sport. There's rules around it. They're getting paid much more money. You know what I mean? The gloves have changed. The technology, the training's changed. So that's evolved, right? So we need that to evolve and move with time. The same way cons consumership, how people watch it, who watches it is going to um, change. You know, we've got massive platforms now that can attract people from around the world. You know what I mean? Like back in the day, let's say if you were Ali and, um, you know, um, what's the big, it wasn't George Foreman, what's the big fight? There was Foreman. Uh, Frazier. Yeah, Joe Frazier. Joe Frazier and Ali, yeah. Let's say you're them. You do that fight, I don't know, it, it was on everyone's TV, national television, and maybe you can go to the cinema and watch it too, or whatever, however way they were doing it then. But now you've got fights that they're on Sky, they're streamed, they're on YouTube. It's everywhere. You And you want to get it out everywhere. So the same way you want that to change, and you want to get more eyes on the sports, to get more eyes on the sports, we need to have different people from different worlds that are into different things. At the end of the day, a UFC fighter fighting a fighter, they're both fighters and there's a discipline, right? With my thing with Jake Paul now, although, yeah, you could say he's not a traditional boxer, but you and I know, let's try to do, let's try, if we try to be a pro fighter and go into the ring, yeah, we can't take away the training he's doing. We can't take away the passion he has for the sport. We can't take away how much eyes and how much interest he's got into the sport, more than a lot of other boxers, because naturally, most boxers now, if you're going to be a big boxer, you have to have a level of interaction on social and understand how to be an influencer. Some boxers don't know how to do that and still keep it pure and keep themselves as boxers. Maybe Jake's going to show them how to be a promoter and how to promote themselves, but still be training. So there's some people going to learn and then there's going to be a fine balance of, okay, where the sport evolves to. But we need these these people to come in and evoke some change. And so whatever he's doing, I feel the, 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 the greater good, it's going to be a bigger reaction because more people are going to be into the sport, more eyes are going to be on it, and it's just going to bring more business to the sport. So my thing is, I understand, but listen, I'm maybe the, word, the wrong person to talk to because in everything for me, I always look at the capital, like the side and the big, the eyes. It's about, we want these sports to become popular and you want them to, there, there to be more than one person that makes the, all the money in the business. You need it to be like, you need it to be opened up. You know what I mean? And you need it to be, there needs to be a monopoly, but then the monopoly needs to be able to spread around the whole scene. And I think the only way you can do that is by bringing in people like Jake Paul that's going to take it to another level without UFC, without Conor. They would say before when Conor came into UFC, he's not what a mixed martial art um, fighter does or that's not how we do it in, you know, in this sport. But he came in and took the game to another level. So I, my thing is hats off to Jake Paul. Whoever's questioning what he's doing, you try to fight him or you do the training and try to, you know what I mean? There's a hundred 
and 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 which I understand. Listen, there will be loads of kids now that have been training all their lives, doing amateur, wanting to turn pro, turn pro, and don't have the opportunity. Right, and I get it, and they'll look at it and be like, "Well, he's come through, and he's just literally gone straight, like to the top of the table." You know what I mean? The top of the the game. But the thing is, the same opportunity that he he had, you have. You've got your phone. He had his phone. And he used a world, he built a world around his phone. Everyone's got the globe in their hands. So whatever you want to do respectfully, instead of criticising what he's doing, you figure it out yourself and create the world around yourself and then you could turn it into whatever you want to do. So instead of us, like picking at people, let's respect what they're doing and understand that this is inevitable, that kids are changing, where information is being sourced, where the eyes are, it's all changing. So at the end of it, he was just in the popular space where the eyes are and he's brought everyone to to his world, the same way KSI has, the same way these are all kids that were, they were gamers that none of us had any, we didn't have no interest in them, but they brought us to them. Mm. It goes back to the quote I said at the start, being bilingual. Yeah. Um, you know, what you just said earlier resonated with me because I know a lot of, you know, being you yeah. know, boxing myself, yeah, I've had 16 fights, I've trained down uh, uh, boxing booth, which is Adam Booth's gym. There's a mm. lot of pros down there. Most of my podcast guests, I would say, are from, your gym. Are, are from the pro boxing backgrounds yeah. and I've had a lot of conversations with them. And I know a lot that are very, very skilled fighters. Yeah. I mean, they're tough people. They're mm. very, very good, but they've got no following. And yeah. they don't really care too much about yeah. their, their following, which I respect as well. Yeah. But the reality is, if you're not a good fighter, you don't know how to communicate yeah. via your social media outlets. Yeah. Therefore, how can you close the big fights? Because who's going to be buying the tickets to, to watch you exactly and I, and I think I think boxing is not just about fighting now it's about the whole package it always has been when we think about it you know like sometimes people rewrite it's the only the other day I was like yeah of course we can do boxing but then I realised I was like this is showbiz it is it's exactly what I've been doing all the time there's no selling difference selling tickets selling tickets at the end of the day if these fighters even when they do go oh yeah, Jake Paul, he sells tickets. If you got to that level, it'll be about you selling tickets, be it you sold out your core, whatever you're doing, even if you go and do a white collar fight, if you can't sell tickets, that's a draw, in it? So you need to be able to be a salesman. You need to be able to be bilingual and do your campaign, just like a politician goes around to go and get votes. As a fighter, you need to go and get people to buy tickets. And so that takes salesmanship. That takes people to be interested in you. And it takes like a, a showmanship to to be behind you. So, or you having the skill to do that. And so, if they haven't got to that level, be it they're entertaining in terms of their skill into the in the ring, yeah, that was get them fandom. Some people, all their banner, all the conversation that they have before their fight is gonna get them followers. Something's going to get you followers, it's going to get you fandom, it's going to make people to buy tickets. And that's all showmanship. So at the end of the day, where, where, however way you make it happen for you to be able to sell tickets or to get bums on the seats, you need to make that happen. And so that's what Jake Paul's learned how to do. And he's been doing that. He's been moving around audiences in his world. 
and he's just moving the audience to boxing. Mm. And when he wants to, instead of us moaning about him being in the game, we better just enjoy it whilst he's interested in boxing because before you know it, his crowd, his audience will just move over somewhere else. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So instead of like criticising, we need to figure out how to keep them there. So we need more professional boxers to be more, allow them to be themselves, the authentic self and allow them to be able to, everyone's interested in the journey of a boxer. Yeah. Be it you were interested in the discipline as a businessman. You know what I mean? Yeah. Some of us, we've got parallel disciplines. The same way a boxer will wake up and train and the mind's on the prize. It's the same way a, a businessman wakes up, reads, does his email, trains, keep himself disciplined because your eyes on the prize. So it's trying to create some relatability. You know, that's okay. what I feel people know how to do. And if they can do that, then they'll get the fans. Yeah. So venturing into this side of, of business, um, disturbing sports, is this why you do the sparring, the boxing, to, to obviously for the fitness and obviously for a bit of an outlet, but is it also to understand what your athletes are going yeah, through in yeah. order to resonate with them? Yeah, 110%. Um, obviously, I'm no way any uh, any high standard of sparring. If any of them listen back, I don't want the videos popping up on YouTube. You know, that was <laughs> No, um... If any yeah. of them have got any footage of you being decked, <laughs> I could just, just slide, slide it in. It in yeah, like, yeah. Oh, like. this, this is doing me. <laughs> <laughs> no, in terms of, um, yeah, why I started sparring is because I've always done a bit of boxing training off and on since, even before I got into boxing. Um, but yeah, the reason why I got into sparring is because I definitely wanted, it's very, I got into sparring at 40 you know what I mean? So it is, and it's an old age to start wanting to get hit in your head. You know what I mean? But to be honest with you, even I hadn't been, like people have thrown punches at me or I haven't been hit like that. And you know, sometimes you question yourself, how do you react when you get hit? How do you stay focused? Because doing all the pads and stuff, you know, when you're doing all the, you know, thinking you're Mayweather, although you don't look like Mayweather, but doing all the pants, once you get the rhythm, you think, oh, you've got it. But it's a complete difference. I realise that if you do the pads and then your, your trainer hits you on the head, you know, you lose yeah, yeah. your rhythm. Yeah. Because it's a completely different... And then you're like, wow, that's different. You know what I mean? And then so I just wanted to have a little bit of a spa. So every Sunday we do that. And it's good. It's just a bit of fun, you know? And, and it definitely makes me respect... Hi, I respect highly what the boys do going into the ring, boys and the girls. Obviously, I don't have no girls' clients at the moment, but, you know, what the men and women do in this sport is, like, second to none. It's crazy. Yeah, true, like true, true warriors. True warriors. Yeah. Like, it's, especially, like, the heavyweights, it's, like, big swings. Any swing can just take you out, you yeah. know what I mean? So... The, the, I have much respect for them. So, look, the last thing on boxing, right? Um, if you were a betting man, yeah. you had to put down money. Mm. I want your honest answer here. Yeah. Anthony Joshua yeah. or Tyson Fury? Who wins that oh. fight? Anthony Joshua's my friend and someone I have a lot of respect for. And I wouldn't bet on none of them. Um, 
I can't. I don't know. <laughs> Listen, Tyson is a completely different beast in terms of what he is. Skill, experience. No one's really come up against him in, in these last few years and shown us that they can get rid of him. He's not, it's not an easy fight at all. Um, and Anthony, obviously early Anthony, you know, the lion spirit, hunger, just aggression, a bully, you know. I think they're two different fighters now. And Anthony's in a different world. Hmm. Would you fight Tyson? Like if you were Anthony, like, like where, do you know what I mean? Like my, hmm. my whole thing is, it's just, you know, they're humans, both of them, to be honest with you. And obviously, Tyson loves fighting. That's all he knows. Anthony loves fighting, but Anthony's got to a different place in his life, you know? Really, respectfully, he's done it all. He could just bow out and retire. But who's to say that he wants to do that? So, you know, I'm trying to be as diplomatic as possible, but, you know, at the moment, just on stats, you have to give the fight to Tyson, just on where the game is. But you know what I mean? Young bull, Anthony, hungry, ready to go. Yeah. A bit, you know, a little less like, you know, maybe he hadn't got to where he wants to be. You know what I mean? I don't know. It depends. Maybe Anthony needs to take a bit of time off and just enjoy his life and be Anthony like successful Anthony Joshua, enjoy himself, have some kids and come back and just be like hungry. And then who's to know? Like, you know, they're in two different lives. Mm. Tyson's got kids, married, having more kids. About a million kids. Do you know, like, you know what I mean? You're, it's a different mentality. My, my nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, yeah. like, Tyson, he's, he will be fighting for this, not the other kid. Do you know what I mean? Mm. You know how it is being a dad. Mm. Kids give you a different, and then he's got one to son, but you know what I mean? It's like, you know, sometimes you need to just tick a few things and, and it gives you another focus. Who do use your money on? Tyson Fury. You know, I knew you'd say, you know, so we can't, it won't, be, it won't be an easy one. No, no. But I'm again, good. yeah, Usyk, who's your money on Usyk Fury? The thing is, for me, I don't think any of the heavyweights come close to Fury. I think Fury is too big. He's, he's, he's a f yeah. freak of nature as he far is. as how big he is, yeah, but no, also moves. Moves, like a moves. moves like a a middleweight. Yeah. So how do you deal with someone like that? He can switch it. I mean, he's very light on his feet. He seems like he's been getting a lot more power for his... Usyk, uh, Fury. Uh, Fury beats him easy. You think easy? Yeah, because he's just too big for him. You've got to remember that, you know, AJ was is bigger than him. I wouldn't say like miles bigger than him, but then you've got Fury, who's even bigger. And it's like, I just don't think he gets close to him. I don't think he can hurt him at all, personally. I think the fight was what they're talking about, which is AJ against Wilder. Now, that's interesting. That's a very interesting very fight. Very interesting fight. Very interesting fight. Such an interesting fight. Very dangerous fight for Be both. Both very dangerous. 
and might be the catalyst that if AJ takes him out and finishes him off like quicker than we think, yeah. that even could give a fire in his belly. AJ, mean, confident, hungry AJ gets rid of a lot of people. Yeah, don't think Fury though, still. It's Fit, too... aggressive, hungry, angry AJ. <laughs> I would not like to like, face, yeah, face that, that. Do you know guy. what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, of course. It's all in the mind. Like, mm. if, he's, if he beats Wilder and he's just like, fuck it, everybody wasn't like rating me, I'm going to show you. We know we don't know. Yeah, yeah look, boxers have always got that yeah. puncher's chance, you know what I mean? and they can change a, yeah. a, a fight very, very quickly. I just think Fury's got too much skill, he, and he's too awkward. He's it, too. He just. He, this is a different beast, you know yeah. what I mean? But obviously, I don't know who's. I'm just a punter who's now got a bit of skin in the game. Yeah, well, I like to see that fight. So anyway, so you're best known for finding talent, building yeah. them up, and making them a success. How do you find talent? And when you do find talent, do you know they've got the X factor? Yeah, I feel, um, I would definitely, um, so I was thinking about it the other day, you know, like what are my strengths? And definitely finding talent is a massive strength of mine. I just don't know. I feel I just, I've just got that feeling. It's the same way, you know. Like, is there a format? Like, for example, Simon Cowell, right? He's one of the most successful individuals in the the music um you know entertainment space and he seems like he's found person group after group after person continuously throughout his life and made himself a very very successful person as well as the acts or the people that he signed that he signed but is it like a blueprint is it a kind of like a a model that you follow or is it just a gut feeling my thing is a gut feeling um Obviously, if you start having a conveyor belt of seeing a load of talent, which um, Simon Cow did with X Factor, you still be using your feeling and your gut, but you've just got more eyes and more things coming through, a flow of talent. Um, it's about the individual, sense of purpose, kind of confidence. Some people have a natural swag. You can't kind of put your finger on it. You can just feel it. And, yeah, intelligence, sense of purpose and swag. I think you can just, there's an energy. Yeah. Have, have you ever seen an individual, this is like a two-folded question, you saw an individual and thought, there's something there, but I don't think they've got the X factor, and then they've gone off to do something very successful. A bit like Dragon's Den when they say they're, they're out, but in actual facts, they go and get investment elsewhere, and then, then they make it. And then also equally... Have you ever thought someone's got that X factor and they've just completely crumbled? Yep. Um, first, I answer your I answer your first question. Um, have I ever missed like something? Majority of the things that I definitely do speak. If I'm chasing something or I'm caught in or I'm in a conversation where I would like to get into business with you, we've identified that you've got the X factor, isn't it? Like, that's why I'm talking to you. So I've, I'm not gonna waste my time. There's no, I don't, I can kind of get a read of where you are. Once I've engaged, I think you've got X factor. Okay. Right? So even when I've not had it, maybe because you've not wanted to work with me or we've not wanted to work together, we've acknowledged that you've gonna, you're gonna do it. So majority of those people that I haven't, 
ended up getting into business with, they have become who they should be. But I wouldn't say that's a miss. That's more of us. Because I don't really communicate or have meetings if I don't really think that there's a possibility of a chance that we could work together and I believe in you. Um, yes, there has been answering your second question in terms of are there things that I believe to have got an X factor and not worked? Yes, tons. You know what I mean? Not as many as loads of people because I said I don't really do that much, but there are, again, in a lot of the fields that I'm in, it's about the people. It's about what people think and it's about, you know, it's opinions from people, it's opinion from third parties, gatekeepers. It's how that person is going to interact with all those third parties and how they see their career and what they want to do. So there's so many factors that can affect the one thing that we both agree in is that you're talented and you could, the world should know you're talented. That's mm. acknowledged, you know what I mean? But for you to be really, for the world to really acknowledge that and that to become a business, there's so many factors that affect that, that, that chance, you know? And so the fails, they're much more regular than the successes. Yeah, I can see what you mean between like a, a boxer and also music artist. I've never done music myself, but if I, if you were to say the skill is the singing or the rapping, yeah. and the skill in that is the is the, the fighting aspect, and then you need that full package around it, I can I, I can see where, where you're coming from. So, in in the first interview when we spoke about probably your most successful person in your books that mm. you've had is your cousin, yeah. Tiny Temper. Um, being cousins, you uh, discovered him. I think when you had a, co a conversation with your auntie, yeah. she said that he was into music. And the words that you said to me was, when you first kind of started being around him, he, he had swagger and he was handsome. Hmm. And you felt that the girls would resonate yeah. with that. Yeah. And that was one of the selling factors. Yeah. Um, but his music, I don't think you actually really touched on that. Like in the early days, maybe stuff that we've never heard no great was, was, it's always was, been good was you like yeah wow this is Tiny, this is powerful Tony's always been an amazing uh, amazing writer even from his first few records you know he wrote Wifey which was one of his biggest underground hits at the time Was that was one of his first records so he always had the potential again it's like it's like having a fire that can't box or having a musician especially a rapper you need a night to rap Especially when we kind of came about, like people, it's better off people not believing you can rap and you're better than people think. But one thing about T, he can very much rap. That was, and he was, he had the potential to become better. So you kind of need to see, like, yeah, where the potential is. It's just like when you're looking at a fire, you can see that, okay, you're good now, but wow, if you get the strength and conditioning right, you get the right trainer, you get the right promoter, wow, you're gonna go. You know what I mean? And and the right management, you go you go all the way. You know, it's because trying to drill into your into your business a little bit and into that relationship that you have with someone like yeah. Tiny or so, yeah. somebody else. Don't get me wrong; every single business in the world has risk and reward, mm. and you got to weigh up which one is going to be more prevalent in that business, and then obviously try and go for the ones that are going to give you the wins, but. You're relying on someone to rap or sing, yeah. to maybe look good, yeah. have a bit of swagger, yeah. communicate with their audience via yeah. social media. Mm. But I think the most important thing 
is committed to the same cause that you're committed exactly. to. Exactly. And isn't that, isn't that freaking risky? I mean, yeah, on, yeah. On, on artists, I mean, look, <laughs> the Defers, the Richard Hamiltons, I mean, Richard Hamilton, the Godfather Street Art, he was connected to Jean-Michel Basquet, Keith Haring, etc. But he was a heroin addict. And mm. part of the reason why his market didn't take off as quickly as the other guys is because he's he wouldn't the, work with the galleries. Yeah, he's on the pipe. But he was, he was an amazing artist. Yeah. So a lot of artists can be notoriously quite hard to work yeah. with. And how do you know if they're going to commit? You never know. That's the whole point. You know from the first instance, you know from when they're committed to... When, listen, the cycle of artists and is obviously my cycle, you know... Um, you meet each other, you have a shared goal or what, where you want to be and obviously maybe if it's your first client, both of you want to make it and fortunately if you do make it, they make it, you make it, you, you both make it and you're there. But then when you make it, success has many owners, you know? And so with many owners, it has a lot of people that are around and a lot of people with opinions so you're managing everyone else's expectation. Then you're dealing with an, an asset or commodity that really speaks and talks and has an opinion, you know? And again, that is taking advice or listening to other people's opinions who have got their invested interest in them too. So there's a lot of factors that can veer things off, you know? So which, and you're, as the manager, you're there to manage all of that and the flow. But again, as you said, what's so hard is that you can't, you can't guarantee or predict what the outcome's gonna be when all these factors go into the machine. It's like a, it's like a machine. It's like, put a bit of money in, inside the machine, put a bit of ego inside the machine, put some fans inside the machine, shake it up and whatever comes out at the end and will they still achieve? Is it the money that's going to make them want to continue going? Is it the fandom? Whatever the drive, you know. One thing about, um, I've had many clients, but obviously I would say T's built like an athlete in the sense where he's disciplined and he's on it and obviously testament to the time he's been in the game that shows how disciplined he is, you know. But everyone delivers, you know, as as many like T's or uh, you could say an Alan Shearer or a Robbie Keane, you've got loads of Ronaldinho's who don't want to turn up to training, you know what I mean? And, and refuse to turn up, but they're one of the most talented. But then again, you've got loads of Ronaldinho's that would never play a game, a professional game in their life because they didn't have the discipline and they weren't able to push that talent. So my thing is, Steve, what's this, this, this has been 18 years of doing the same, same thing. One thing I have, I've got a lot of experience in understanding what happens with success and people, right? And the one thing you can never guarantee is the impact of what success is going to do to an individual, you know, good mm. or bad. And so in terms of as an investment, if you're looking at things as black and white, you know, what should you invest in or what shouldn't you invest in because these are factors can affect the overall outcome. Yes, entertainment or dealing with individuals in general, it's always going to be more difficult than a product per se. Yeah, there's so many sort of elements 
to your this conversation I'm thinking about, which I want to ask you, you know, uh, about as we as we progress. But you mentioned a, an artist earlier, and I don't know why this this example always sort of comes back into my mind. So Ed Sheeran, right? Yes, he's probably the number one yes. guy at the moment for for what he does. Um, yeah, sells out arenas he can go anywhere around the world he's recognized people love him adore him and yeah. and very talented he's very very good at what he does very disciplined very disciplined can play multiple different instruments i mean he's fantastic very rap. focused yeah and he's a likable bubbly character you Massively. know no, no one can say a bad word about him no. even when he gets interviewed yeah. in a glass of red wine he likes yeah. his drink and he's he's a relatable guy I first came across Ed Sheeran many years ago because um, I was a Devlin fan and he was rapping in Brixton and I think he bought him out mm. as like a kind of like a... Yeah, support. Not, yeah. yeah, support. Or just co-sign. And I was like, this guy's amazing. Like, yeah. amazing. Like, I didn't really know too much about him. We're talking about many, many yeah, cool. years ago. And I always thought that Devlin was a, an amazing rapper and he is, but he seemed, and I'm just, you know saying it as I see it through social media. I don't know anything else and I'm probably not the right guy to be commenting on this, but it seemed like he quite, kind of sort of fell away a little bit. It looks like he's trying to come back now. And Ed Sheeran, his mate, has gone off and completely taken the, the world by storm. What makes an artist from a good, great artist to someone that is absolutely phenomenal? <laughs> luck? No, a little bit of luck. What um, define luck? Well, it's just, as they say, opportunity favours the brave, isn't it? You know what I mean? So you have to be in it to win it. So if you're in it, you may have a little bit of a, a lucky streak and then you're going to... It's going to happen, isn't it? But to be honest with you, luck, faith, God, what, what, prayer, you need a lot of that. But then talent, obviously, the cream always rises, as they say. You know, you need the, the talent. So... Um, skill. And the skill. Um in terms of, um, you were saying what ch turns somebody into being a mediocre, like you were saying. For someone who's like great. Yeah, to becoming an uber star. Yeah. yeah. Like a juggernaut in their sector. Well, it's an understanding to become that uber star. There has to be a switch in their mind where they definitely want to be that uber star. And they have to understand what they need to sacrifice to, be, to become that uber star. And that, the feeling of where they want to be, even if it scares them, they have to be willing and be able to be able to take that, the challenge and the jump and the step to be become that and be willing to sacrifice everything for that, whatever they believe is, is needed to achieve that, they need to achieve that. It's just like with anything, you know, with your business, you know, you've got this gallery if you could be contented with having this gallery, but in your head, no one knows what the overall massive, like where you want to be or where the, the the end goal is for you, but you could want to have one of these in every major city in the world. You know what I mean? Someone could be happy just having it here, but you would know that. But if to do that, you have to be precise. You have to know what you're trying to do. You have to be in the rooms that you need to be in. You need to build your network. You need to keep on course, yeah? And to a certain degree, you need a little bit of luck. Do you know what I mean? But with strategy and you being on the game and you being focused, you'll be able to achieve that. 
if you get the opportunity, you know what I mean? Same way for a massive uber star. No, there's no luck that's Ed Sheeran has got to the where he needs to be because in his head, he always believed that he could be one of the biggest artists in the world. And he's achieved that through network, hard work, making the right records and listening to the right people at the right time or listening to himself at the right time, you know? Mm. It's decision-making. It's the same way with Adele, same way with a lot of these the massive acts, Jay-Z, you know? Well, so I was going to actually ask you, because I know in our previous conversation, we, we spoke about other very successful artists, including Drake. I've got to say, for me, he's probably my most favorite artist i think he can do both he can do the rap hardcore stuff yeah. and he can do the soft stuff and i Massive. think to do them both like that as well as he does i mean he could just venture into one side of his his uh Cut his him. audience yeah. and just cream Screen, it there yeah. but he, he does it across both so knowing him listening to his music and doing business with him what separates drake from everybody else again there is no a little bit of luck, but he went on a journey to become to become the biggest artist in the world and the biggest rapper in the world, you know. Every time, when you're in a position in life, you either have to have people that can articulate where you are right about now and let you know where you are right about now and where you need to be, or you really have to feel where you are and where you want to be. You know what I mean? You have to have a feeling and know that, well, either this is not where I want to be, I want to go more, or I know exactly how I'm going to do it, you know? And I feel, look, Drake has levelled up at every time, be it your co-signed by Lil Wayne. He saw Lil Wayne become from the Southern rapper to becoming one of the biggest rappers in the world. He saw that through a level of having a great platform and a great, you know, history in the game with cash money and everything and then having his own imprint. But through hard work and really putting out so much music at the end of it, everyone was like, whoa, Wayne is one of the best rappers in the world. And who would have ever thought that Lil Wayne, yeah, from New Orleans was going to be, Southern rappers weren't even seen as rappers that can, can, are lyrical enough to be one of the best rappers in the world. And then Lil Wayne was that guy through hard work. And Drake was around that 24-7. And then from doing that, he realised his impact. So when you see people like that, you understand how people move. Okay, if I want to be a, a global superstar, I need to move like this. I need to invest in my career. I need to have these people around me. I need to level up. I need to put the right records. I need to challenge, be bold. And at every time, Drake's just levelled up and he's always delivered and he's had his eye on the prize. He's been a student of the game and he's really sacrificed a lot to get to the top. And he's been willing to sacrifice a lot. Lots of people, if they maybe saw his tour schedule or where he needed to be in the world, some people would be like, listen, mate, it's cool. You know what I mean? I'm happy with the million, in my, a couple million in my bank and I've got the girls calling my phone Lots of guys would so guys or girls or whoever would just be like, you know what? And I've seen it, Steve. You know what I mean? Like I've seen people who said they wanted it and they want to be the biggest star in the world, but or they want to be the biggest in the world. But the challenge continues to get higher and higher. The bar only gets 
levels up, the higher you get, there's more, there's more. So if you want to achieve that, you have to put in the work. And, and Drake's put in the work and he's just, he's like an athlete. That's why he's got to deal with Nike because you couldn't, what Federer's doing or what uh, Michael Jordan done, does or what bloody Harlan doing now, Drake's doing that in music. This is a different level. It's a different focus. You mm. know what I mean? He's putting out great records. To do that, to keep hungry, you have, you have to be looking left, right, behind. To keep... It's easier to chase someone than to stay in front. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? But mm. he's staying in front because he's looking on his side, looking to the... Looking behind him, respecting the people that are like behind him or on his left and the right and just keeping himself like... Yeah cool and agile being able to move you know so do you know what much respect to drake and what he's done because it's a massive feat and it's been an amazing journey to watch and the music and the level of music he's given everybody to just listen to is second to none and i feel everyone needs to look at that and if you want to achieve that you have to see the feet let's not see oh even the effort of him when he does come to different parts of the world and he and he obviously respects what they're doing and mingles with the right artists and does the right features that's a lot of slog he's coming into these countries on a private jet he can check into the best suite in the world call the, the baddest girl in the world and just chill and wait for him to get on the stage but for him to leave his room and obviously go out and set up a studio whatever he's doing it takes effort and one thing we always have to question ourselves is like everyone always thinks yeah, when I get there I would do this but that's not true hmm. do you know what I mean hmm. you just have to everyone does things differently when they get there so what Drake's done it's a massive feat just getting on the top but when you are at the top wherever you are in the world whatever you're doing when you're at the table wherever you thought you were going to be or wherever whatever you thought you were going to have in your bank be it the position you are in your work be it your position you are in your family now you're there where are you going next mm. and if you're going there have you got the tenacity to get there are you still as hungry do you still want it as much that's the difference mm. between the people that get there and stay on the top and the people that are just... I know when saying that that's bad to be contented because in life, you should be... We're all striving for to be content and find happiness. But that's maybe where Drake is happy. He's happiest at the top. Mm. Maybe. Do you know what you just said there about effort and yeah. putting himself out there and being around the right artists? Yeah. I've noticed you know, me not being in the, the music industry, but being, me and being more of a fan. Mm. Um, he's really taken a shine into UK hip hop, rap, um, grime, drill. There's obviously loads of different labels for different aspects, different genres within, within, within that field. Obviously he had gigs on his album. Skepta obviously had a connection with Wiley, Section Boys. And over time I was thinking, this isn't just him being just a fan of theirs, but this is actually a very strategic, smart move here. Why has he got such a, an affection for UK rap? 
I couldn't tell you firsthand why he's got the massive affection. I would definitely say there are parallels in terms of our culture in Canada, where he's from, and England. So they understand us a bit more than the Americans, in the sense where obviously the Queen's on there. We used to be, or maybe yeah, yeah. King Charles should still be on their mm. notes. But I don't know if they, they may change things, but for now he is. Um, then in terms of even the 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 demographic, like the mix-up of their, you know, in terms of immigrants, African immigrants, European immigrants, first generation, you know, it's very much the same kind of mix as ours. And so, again, he's been fortunate enough for the last... 12, 13 years, he's been traveling around the world, seeing all different genres, seeing different growth markets. He's not as tied down or locked into America and just seeing that that space and how music evolves or how culture's been evolving in that space. He sees that, plus he's been seeing things moving around the world. So, it's... it's capitalist mindset you know what I mean yeah. you're, you're a businessman's mindset and he's a businessman he understands he's the music business so you're going to try to sell more records or try to get a certain level of fandom in different territories because that's what's going to keep you on top and he has a lot of respect for the music because I, I feel he likes you know all the be it from the West Indian side of, of some of the sonnets that we have over here to African and to the, just the straight London thing, I think he, it kind of strikes an, a nerve to him and it makes him really feel like he gets it. And it's fresh. Our music's always evolving. Our sounds are always evolving. Our sounds evolve much more than American sound. So it's like, it's probably exciting to him. It's just like if, when I go, if I take a plane to Japan, I'm into street culture, I'm into mm. fashion, I'm into like all those disciplines. If I go to Japan, it's almost like, whoa, they're doing this, wow, they're wearing their jeans like this, or they're wearing this, or they're eating this. That's gonna inspire me and make me think, whoa, there's more to it. And then that's whatever I take from there, I'm gonna bring it back here. It's the same with anything. You know, Christopher Columbus has mm -hmm. been doing it for years. Yeah. People discover things and they want to bring it back to their main territory. And that's what yeah. Drake's just been doing. It keeps him fresh. Yeah. I, there's definitely something that probably resonates with him. That, get, that, that gets him going. And I've, I've got to be honest as well. You just reminded me of something. There's, I'm going to be biased because yeah. I'm, I'm from London, yeah, right? I'm from, from South London yeah, originally. Tulse Hill, yeah. family from Brixton, Dulwich, you know, Crystal Palace, etc. Yeah. And then moved, vented out into like more down than Bromley Way, etc. And there's the obvious uh, groups such as what we spoke about before, So Solid, yeah. Page Ago, etc. But there used to be a group from South London called SMS, Southman yeah. Syndicate. Yeah, 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 SMS. And they're, 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 they're up in Norwood and them yeah, two yeah, areas. Yeah, yeah. And they were, there. for me, yeah. like, I used to think they were unbelievable. And there was this, this real energy that, yeah. that I thought, oh, this is, this is yeah. amazing. And when someone else would discover them for the first time, because they wasn't a massive group, no, no. they were like, oh my God, this is, this is, this, <laughs> yeah, this yeah, is yeah. good. On that note How of, can I forget... There was, there, was, there, was, there was a guy called Snakes on there. Snakes, yeah. who was the other? Who was the, how can I forget? So my cousin's mate, a guy called Anthony, his brother was in it. Yeah. 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 A lot of them were, were Muslim guys. Yeah, 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 yeah. They were yeah. Muslim. And yeah, yeah. Ashley Chin. And, but um, 
Nabil, what was the group that was... They were from South Man Syndicate, but they were from Toad's Hill. Toad's Hill, yeah. They, but they were associated with So Solid and that. Okay, yeah, there was a couple of like, uh, yeah, vet, no, vented yeah, off. Yeah, and, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. I forgot that group. So I want to ask you about this, right? Because I'm not really qualified to mm. speak about it, but someone that is in the music industry mm. and sort of connected to the streets, but then connected to the corporate mm. world, I think you sit perfectly in between. Yeah. UK rap, I feel yeah. like, is really evolved, yeah, right? Of it's gone from its own version to the grime then to the drill there's obviously very successful people have come from that but then there's also this underworld which can actually stimulate yeah some the of the problems time. yeah 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 you know like selling the drugs yeah like gang culture shooting stabbings i mean look we're in london i know we both like our, like our watches but i've had plenty of conversations in this very room with other podcast guests about the dangers now of wearing a nice watch in london because of, of of the gangs and stuff and the muggings, etc. I mean, what part do you think that music does play in stirring up some of that emotion for, for the gangs? Or do you think it doesn't play any part whatsoever? Listen, um, music's a powerful force, isn't it? Um, Fortunately and unfortunately, at sometimes you know, like where it's powerful, sometimes I think it gets the blame for things that don't actually. It doesn't have any direct effect. Robbery, stabbing, shootings, street <laughs> culture, and illicit activities have been happening in the UK and beyond forever. Forever before rap, I don't think the craze were listening to rap. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So like, so that was a rap boy. I don't know what was that, was that Scar? They weren't even there yet. That's rock and roll. So yeah. I don't know who was talking about heavy metal. And <laughs> heavy yeah. metal. Yeah. I don't know. Think, yeah. but so gangsterism and street culture, that's what comes in deprived areas. That just, that's more of a government issue where what, why, there's that happening that's because these kids are left in underprivileged environments and they're trying to make money because they're trying to get out do you know what i mean that's fundamentally we know that steve that fundamentally that is it yeah okay so now the things that have come out of that music lots of the kids that do do music be it, it came from you know, sound systems to ska music to rubber dub music or whatever to reggae to hip hop to street culture jungle to garage to rap where it is now. Lots of the 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 kids that are making this music come from these underprivileged environments that have got street culture and crime going through those environments, right? So that's where the where it equates. Okay. So now, this whole new thing, okay, clashing and stuff like that, when it comes to gangster rap, we saw in America, gangster rap was starting, and so people have beef, and that some of the street culture gets into the music. Yes, these kids now, they're being part of gangs, and part of being them being in gangs, they're rapping and sending for each other on records. That is fueling some of the beef. But... If you're talking about it as a big circle, 100%, how much of that percentage is being fueled, of that 100% is being fueled by the music? It's not up to 
I would say maybe 25% of it is being fueled by the music. You know what I mean? In terms of where they're rapping, stirring each other up, going and doing it. But even if you took the music out, those kids would still probably be having a little bit of beef and going back and forth because this is just what happens in the areas that we're from, especially when you take out lots of the government money for like, you know, youth clubs, lots of the schools, the funding, policing. There's a lot of things, gaps. Sometimes, again, with that, when you don't have none of the other opportunities in the area, what's the other thing they see? They see success is through making music, through doing drill records. That got my friend signed, gave him a six-figure deal, which is going to make them do music because it's a get-out. So in one breath, they're doing, they're going to do the music. It's, it's like a it's, a, it's a, it's almost like what comes first, the chicken and the egg. Yeah. It's, it's a hard, it goes round. It's, it's just going on and on and on and on. And my thing is, as a father, I've got a young son, a young black boy. He's 12, you know what I mean? And we live in inner city London. So I am obviously, he could be impacted by what happens on the street, you know what I mean? Um, so it scares you every day, but it's definitely um, scary in a sense where, you know, it seems that lots of kids are exposed to it more than when we grew up. Mm. You know, when we grew up, maybe, I don't know, and listen, I'm not a kid living in this day and age, but there were boys in gangs and then boys that weren't in gangs. And the boys in gangs fought the boys in gangs. And the boys that weren't in gangs, maybe once or twice you may get caught in a bit of a, a mix-up, right? You may be in the wrong area, but if you're not in the gangs, you'll probably be able to just avoid that. Yeah. I don't know whether it's through media or a lived experience that now it seems like there's a lot of kids in gangs and even the kids that are not in gangs are getting caught up in this mix-up. I couldn't tell you, but, and how they're dealing with it now, yes, when we were younger, were kids using knives? They were using knives. Were people getting shot? They were getting shot. Is there more of it now? I don't know. Or has it been highlighted? Has it been highlighted because of media? Because everyone's on social media. (laughs) Was it the same? I don't know, Steve. All I'm just saying is that we definitely do have a responsibility as an industry of what we glorify and what we put out, yeah? Artists have a responsibility of what they talk about and what they glorify. And parents have a massive responsibility of what you allow your kids to listen to and how you educate your kids and what you tell your kids, you know what I mean? So it's all... Yeah. So like, uh, we talked about boxing earlier. Yeah. And when I go down to my boxing club on a Friday morning to do the sparring, Mm. um, to get myself in the zone, I get up at five o'clock in the morning, drive down here and I've got to be there for six. And I'm not putting Britney Spears on. Yeah, yeah, nor yeah. Nor am I putting One Direction nah, on. I'm nah. putting on... SMS on. I'm putting on some... Yeah, set, like, yeah. I've listened to Chinese uh, junk food a yeah, few yeah, times yeah. to get me going. Yeah. Or, you know, just, just something to, yeah, yeah, to get me ready. Yeah, so yeah. when I'm there, I'm, yeah, I'm pumped, I'm, no. I'm, I'm ready. And it's... and But I feel like there's different layers to it. There's... there's, there's like, Chinese one is a good example. I feel like that gets me up and I'm just ready. But then you might listen to other artists... 
that have really direct messages yeah. in, in they're, they're talking about shooting someone yeah. they're talking about yeah. murdering mm. their family or, or selling, selling drugs and maybe to the wrong susceptible minds some people might think that's okay to follow follow that path I do agree it starts with your peer group your family the mum and dad the parent to say this is the right morals this is the right way to life but I guess some young boy or young girl who are susceptible have got no direction. They can be susceptible to the wrong messages sometimes, whether that comes through music or whether yeah, they come I don't through, know. through... Yeah, through, we don't know. For a gang. Yeah, we don't know because the thing is, Steve, it's almost like... And I'll say one more thing on it, right? And this is the one thing. I'm in the art market, mm. so it's not the same, totally the same as music, but they have very similar things. Yeah. I can't turn around to an artist and say, right, that canvas, this is how you need to do it because this is what I think my audience is going to yeah. like. You're the artist, so you make that canvas the way you should make that canvas. Exactly. There's no right or wrong. You could put anything on there, and if that's your message, that's your message. And it's the same thing with a rapper or a singer. If they're singing something, that's their energy. Who am I to say to an artist, you can't be like that? Because that would be manipulating or controlling an artist. But then the other side of it is, is there a message that continually, continuously comes out from a group or an individual that has been, is resonating with some minds and then they're going off to do stupid things? And again, I don't think we're going to have the answer. Unfortunately, the media will always try and pin that on certain demographics. Yeah, there's a lot of things that I feel we're kind of... We need to take more responsibility for and be in more control of as as people as parents I don't know whether the violence is the problem or even the mere fact that we use the n-word throughout lots of the music I couldn't tell you what has more detrimental effect on our society, to be honest with you. Hmm. And that's a deeper, that's a whole different podcast. I don't think I'm qualified. Do, to do that you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. But, 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 but this is where, because even us saying that 24 7 and what the, it does, and in terms of our perception of ourselves, our value of ourselves, or our love of ourselves, is it? could that have a massive impact, which then makes us want to pick up a knife and start fighting each other and doing that and then kill it. You know what I mean? There's a lot. Maybe that will have more effect in terms of self-hatred subconsciously. We don't know what. That's a deep one, bro. Hmm. Hmm. Right. Do you want to ask you something? So, you know, uh, 2012 Olympic Games, Tiny yes. cl closed it, right? Yeah. I, I listened to a few of your other interviews and I know you're a guy that just focuses on getting a task done and then once it's done you, you kind of look at it and rather than celebrating it you're like how can I make this better that's a good thing and also can be perceived as a bit of a bad thing as well because you've got to celebrate your successes but as a business person I understand it's about evolving etc but when Tiny is at you know when Disturbing London's at the closing of the Olympic Games in, in, in London. I mean, wasn't that a pinch myself kind of moment? Yeah, there is massive. I've had a lot of pinch myself moments, Steve. I feel um, it was a long... I feel like I'm in a different chapter in my life now. Not like tiny, 
disturbing London, you know, 1.0 to 2.0. I think I'm on like disturbing London 3.0 now. That stuff, when I was on, I'm like, I was on a journey and I just needed to keep going because for one, I wasn't sure if it was gonna last. Secondly, I was learning so much. So I needed to have like, get the experience. Now I believe I'm, I've had the experience. I'm a bit more long in the tooth. I've seen the effects of everything. So like now I would say, okay, in certain moments now, am I gonna take my time out and maybe take a few days off and tap myself on the back and be like, oh, that was great. Yeah. Have a glass of wine. You need to have a glass yeah. of wine. You need to enjoy it. But I didn't, them times that I didn't have that skill. I didn't know how to do that because that's just not what I thought you needed to do at the time, you know? Is it also as well a little bit of fear? And what I mean by that is the moment you start celebrating, everybody knows that there's the boxer, world champion, celebrates becoming a world champion. I'll give you a really good example. Uh, Andy Ruiz beats Joshua. Yeah, yeah, look. Yeah. Earned 12 himself. million quid or whatever, bought a load of rollers, yeah, yeah. was actually fatter, fatter in the second Crazy. fight than the first fight. Exactly. And you would think the world champion, the yeah. newly world champion would be, and in and celebrating sometimes is affiliated to taking your eye off the uh, ball. Well, yeah, definitely. And is that, was was there a bit of fear that yeah, you, might, you might be um, celebrating your wins too early? Yeah, we celebrate. We had a good time. Me and T had an amazing time, some life-changing moments together, great times. But I think we're quite driven. Um, yeah, 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 you could say that. You know, at the time, you're one of one. There's not that many of us. Then you feel you've got a massive opportunity and you feel you need to keep the door open for everyone else that's coming through. You can't let people down. So, yeah, you don't. You just go for it. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'd love to ask him one day on a podcast, but seeing as he's not here, why did Tiny drop temper? Oh, he would tell you that. But um, I think at a stage, you know... I think he just wanted to change. And everyone calls him Tiny. Yeah. Tiny, 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 I've Tiny. I've never, I don't think like from friends or yeah. family members, I've never ever heard someone call or him Patrick, the full name. Yeah, or Tiny yeah. Temper. Yeah. No, we don't it's call him Patrick Tiny. It's either Patrick or yeah, Tiny. Yeah, you Tiny. So that's the reason. I think it was more personal, to be honest with you. Wanting people to feel him, he would tell you, but at the time, I think it felt a bit more personal. People call him Tiny. Yeah, that's why. Mm. GQ's best best dressed businessman. Cashmere yeah. um, blue top on, <laughs> half tinted, phenomenal glasses, lovely watch on, Jordan, <laughs> limited Jordan 4s on. I mean, you're the epitome of it, isn't you? <laughs> isn't you? Don't care. <laughs> no, you don't love care. it, don't you? Because <laughs> <laughs> you love it, isn't it? You, you love, love it. it, don't you? No, do you know what, Steve? Do you know what's so funny? Do actually when you say do I love it? I must love it, but I don't love it to get the the props. I love fashion. Yeah. Do you look in the mirror in the morning and go, I look like catwalk today? Yeah. yeah I'm, no, I'm no. out. I'm going out there. Yeah. No. 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 <laughs> <laughs> no. Do you know what the thing is? Fashion to me is a way of expressing myself. Maybe that's the creative side of me. I think how I present myself is very much who I am. You know what I mean? And it's how people take me. I think that's maybe one of the things that maybe someone may go, oh, yeah, you look good. Do you know what I mean? It's a conversation start. But fashion for me, like where we are now, my first job, 
My, my work experience yeah, in school was in Dickens and Joe's on Regent Street. Right. And then my first job was in Re Regent Street, Gap on Regent Street. So like, when I was in secondary school, I was working in retail and fashion stores. And it was always, fashion is just important to me. You know what I mean? So yes, Stephen, my training collection is quite significant. And majority of the trainers I do have, I buy them. And before I used to be get, get given them, but I have some great Nikes, good good training collection. But that's just like you will have a car collection or you've got, I've got a nice few watches, what I like. And I've always liked watches. Do you know what I mean? And then as you're into something, you know, it's not that every day I look at my, my wardrobe and go, oh, I'm gonna wear this. No, I just pick what, what I feel, but I've been doing it for so long that I have a lot of clothes. <laughs> So, you know, fashion is important for me. It is important to yeah. me. And it's a way I express my, and it gives me happiness. And I think, yeah, I just like it. I'm curious, Jordan 1 or yeah. Jordan 4? Which one's better? For me, Jordan 1s. Jordan 1s are definitely better for me at the moment because I feel I'm wear, I wear Jordan 1s more. But, yeah. What are these? Are these 4s? Yeah, These fours. are fours, yeah, look. Yeah, fours. fours yeah, yep. I know my trainers. Yeah, you yeah, know your yeah, trainers. Yeah. They're fours, but... um, I feel like a Jordan 1, Yeah, you can wear them in a suit. a suit. exactly. You can wear them well, yeah, casual. casual yeah. You can put a track suit on. Exactly. You can have shorts on. Exactly. They fit everything. everything. Yeah, exactly. And especially the, the lows are the best in terms of, like, ones are good, but lows are just good. Exactly what you said. You can wear them with a pair of shorts. You can wear them with a pair of trousers. Yeah. You can wear them like, even like now in a prep, like more of a formal thing. If you have a pair of Jordan Lowe's, you can wear them and they're like a pair of shoes. You know, trainers are amazing. Fashion's amazing too, you know. You like to pull it on too, you know what I mean? <laughs> you know how to put it together. We all do. I think it's part of our characters, you know what I mean? But I may be a little bit more experimental, I'd say. Do you know when you get these titles or heard these mm. titles like GQ's best dressed businessman, mm. how does that make you feel? I think I am GQ's best dressed businessman. You know what I mean? I'm not. And there was another accolade I yeah. saw like Forbes. Yeah. It was referencing your heritage being yeah. from Nigeria, yeah. is it? Um, and it was like under 40s or something yeah. like that. I mean, GQ's best dressed businessman, 40 under 40. You know, all these, I mean, these are great accolades to have. Yeah, it's, obviously, I wasn't the most, I've said it before on lots of podcasts, I wasn't the most, I didn't achieve academically that well in equivalent to lots of my other siblings or my family members, you know, extended family. Um, so me getting these kind of accolades, as you would say, it definitely kind of just gives you a tap on your back. It's a sense of achievement, you would say, but... It just comes with it. It's just an it's it's acknowledgement. There's much more to be done. Do you know what I mean? And more now, I, I want people around me to get these accolades. I'm here really. The chapter of my life now, where I'm at now, Steve. I want to just increase the opportunity of people around me. And I think I've always done that, but I've realised that I actually really do love that. And so it's about trying to make people who are around me achieve their goals. Yeah. And if they can achieve their goals via me, so be it. Perfect opportunity to talk about this next venture yeah. that you're involved with. Yeah. Um, I'll allow you to tell us about it, but am I right in saying it's a, a sparkling wine? Yes, sparkling wine. It's called Severin. 
Septimius Severus was a um, North African black Roman emperor who conquered the whole of um, Europe and London specifically was one of his territories. The remnants of the London Wall is part of his empire. Um, he had a dynasty called the Severan dynasty after it was like three, two or three of his sons um, led after him. And so this is a British sparkling wine. The grapes are from South Africa and it's made in Hampshire. You know, for years, like Stephen, we've been drinking champagne. It's fueled our lives, fueled our celebration, fueled everything from the garbage days to riders to champagne spray in Marbella, Ibiza. You know what I mean? You mm. know, you've mm. been there. You know what I mean, Steve? The amount of bottles we've drunk and we aren't, we're not in control of how it's, like the, how the image that the images that are associated around it, or we don't have no say to, you know, the DNA around the brand, you know, and we have so much influence in it too, but we don't, we're not part of the forefront of no, none of the campaigns or nothing. And my thing was British sparkling wine is very much a, a, an emerging industry that's really blowing up. And it was about us now owning something in that space that we can change the perception of what aspiration is through the brand. And the drink and the juice in it is amazing. It tastes amazing. And we need to start buying our products, British products, and we can punch as heavy as the Europeans and the, and the people in Champagne. But we've got our own product now, and this is called Severin, and hope, hopefully it, it fuels a load of our celebrations, you know what I mean? Be it you selling art, be it you selling this gaff, you know what I mean? Building some other spaces in around the world, same thing for me. But it's very much like a massive passion for me. And is there like an end goal with this? Is it just to get it all around the world and people to enjoy it and to uh, affiliate this brand with times of goodness mm. and celebration? Or is it, are you also got the, the business brain on thinking, I'm going to float this company, I'm going to sell it? It's both. 110% both. Because I think if both happens, that's when we have really, we've we've penned it, we've put, we like, that's the bullseye. Listen, floating and selling things as in our industry or being where I'm from and selling a business is a massive opportunity for all of us. You know what I mean? And it's, it's a height that we need to get to. When we see Jay-Z doing it, or through Jay-Z selling Rockaware, or, you know, 50 Cent selling G-Unit, those have been, have been the things that have fueled their success in the last 10 years to do more business. And then think about all the other people that are part of their business and the operations, the jobs that they've been able to provide for people the inspiration that they've been able to provide. Even it makes us know that we can do it, you know what I mean? But over here, it hasn't quite been done, you know? Mm. So my thing is, it's not about me primarily. This is about, we've seen the catalyst of when I've had the opportunity to work with Tiny, the impact that that has had in music industry and the managers that have come through after that and the talent that's come through after that, even looking after Wiz. We've seen how this opened up Africa 
and the talent that's come out of there and the managers that have worked. You know, this is just, for me, this is just, again, a virgin opportunity that if it does work, it opens up massive opportunity for everyone. I won't be the first or the last person to do this. But again, that's just how I'm programmed, Steve. It's like I can see it and I'm just like, let's try to get to the top of the mountain, you know what I mean? And see if we can do this. And if we do this, there'll be an aesthetic that I've created and we've created as a team at Severin that represents a different aesthetic for aspiration that allows kids to see themselves in luxury environments. Hopefully, there'll be a drink that we're all proud enough to drink and we like it and it's from Brian. And then there's an end result. There's a place where, as an entertainer or a creative of anything, you're going to talk to a company that can relate to you and understand what you're doing mm. and can sponsor your events or give provide some alcohol because we understand the world you're in. So you have some a brand that hopefully understand some of the the other industries or the talent that wants to interact with Severin. And then lastly, if we're fortunate enough to scale and sell, that's again another company that has been a black and brown led company that's going kicked the doors in in a luxury industry and sold something it's a win-win for us all isn't it you know what I mean so realistically it's exciting for me because it's something that I think authenticates like our position and what we do I've dealt with majority of all the massive luxury alcoholic brands throughout the the years and I just said you know what it's it's enough of that we need to do our own mm. and that's what that's the brainchild of Severin yeah Seems like it's going to be a phenomenal brand, great drink, and uh, I, I know it's going to it's going to be uh, moving mountains, mate. I want you to drink it, and then you tell me how. Do you, do you drink, Steve? Yeah. Oh, perfect. Yeah. Put it in the fridge, drink it, and then on your next podcast, you have to be honest. I will. You have to open it and say, you know what? Actually, Severance is nice. So I want you to chill and drink it. I will do. Let me know I what you do. think. I will do. Um, I want to ask you one or two no, more, two, two more things, right? As oh, Dean t- Forbes is one of the investors in this. Sorry. Yeah, Dean Forbes is such He's a great a guy. Phenomenal guy. Like, what a guy he is. Like, again, Stop. again, this is what I'm saying. Me and Dean, he's invested in this, and obviously we're from the same manner. We have got mutual friends, but we had never met until a couple months ago, and it was on. Uh, uh, we were doing a um, a panel together. And we've got mutuals, but we were talking and then I told um, Dean about Severin and he was just like, D, I think this is a phenomenal idea I'm in. But again, with Severin, for me, it was about us linking forces and joining forces and network of people, like-minded people that come from the same background, that we are achieving these things, but we, we need to come together, not only as a community, but on a business level and help ourselves and come together and own something because again, majority of all the Dean, um, the, the Forbes family group, all their events, they're going to have uh, champagne, they're going to be drinking that, but we should have our own products in there. And, and he was the same and was very like-minded and understood what we're trying to do. And I think he's a massive part of our community and just a massive British success story, be it your white, brown, Indian, Chinese, it's a massive story, you know what I mean? And again, he's massively 
a part of, I would say, the change of where what being British is and what that means and something that we are, it's an, he's a national treasure, you mm. know what I mean? And somebody that needs to be at the forefront of a lot of things and kids need to know that you don't always have to be into music, you don't have to be into sports, you don't have to do all the things that we do. <laughs> I do, you know? You can come through on a corporate level, you, we should be in tech and Dean's an amazing example of that, you know? And so us joining forces with this is... is that's what dreams are made of. I think me and him, in a sense, where I think we've got the same kind of core beliefs. I think we're like-minded in that sense. I think we've always wanted to work with people from our community that have done really well. And hopefully this is just one of many things that we'll do together. Yeah, he's a great, great guy, man. I had a lot, lot of respect for him. Obviously very successful. He talks but highly about you too. It's just the way he delivers stuff. He says certain things about business which are very basic but it just makes it it's like a light bulb moment yeah like, yeah it, it really can be that simple yeah. but people overcomplicate yeah stuff. yeah he's just like the levels that's real 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 executive level operation you know and he's learned that skill and he can do it, he's done it, he's tested it, he's done it, a few, and he's going to do it again and again and again. And mine's like that again. Iron sharpens iron the same way we come in, you tell me certain things to you, and I'm like, for real, I should think about like that. And I say stuff to, like, to you, and then you're like, mm. the same way Dean says something to me, and I'm like, yeah. And the same, you know, we, we all can help each other sharpen our tools, and I think it's just amazing. You are your network. You are. And the people that you're having conversations with, you know? My closing question to you last time and to all my podcast mm. guests is, be happy, never content, is my mantra. Yes. yes. If I were to ask you for this part two, what does be happy, never content mean to do me? Oh, man, be happy, never content. It's exactly what we're striving for, happiness. Do you know what I mean? Because again, Steve, what does that mean? Both of them are relative. Happiness is relative. Contentment is relative. And you just have to find the space that makes you happy and a place where you are hungry to continue to achieve things in life, but with not compromising what makes you happy. Mm. That's what we're all just trying to do. It's the pursuit of happiness. It is. Fundamentally. Yeah. That's what it means to me. Thank you very much, uh, mate, for your for your time Thanks. and uh, honoured that you come over to Woodbury House Thank you, Gallery. Man. Well mate, done. Thank well you. Done. Well done to Woodby House. Well done to Stephen. Continue doing what you're doing, mate, and keep on going. And we're supporting you. And like the, the you're gonna be up on up on the moon soon. You know what I mean? Uh, Woodbury House going to space. That's the next one. <laughs> Selling art on the moon. Art on the moon. Yeah. <laughs> um, if everyone's enjoyed this. Please subscribe, comment, do all that good stuff. Be happy, never content. And thank you once again. Thank you, Steve. Cheers, mate.